0: Hello everybody, you're listening to the Q&E Podcast, you're here with your boy Q Hicks right now, got Egg on the other line, Edgar, tell the people what's good. What's up everybody, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Merry New Year, Happy New
1: Year, I should say, all that in the book. <laughs> it to this podcast. Yeah, bro, it's funny, cause I seen a
0: card like that the other day It said, um, happy, happy Christmas and Merry New Year, my cousin thought, like, the, um, the Hallmark card made a mistake, but they did it on purpose. <laughs> They thought it was funny or whatever. But if this is your first time listening to the Q&A podcast, this is a primarily sports podcast hosted by me, Quincy, and Egridor on the other line. So thank you for listening. Like you said, primarily sports podcast. And today we're listening, or we're talking about the NBA, college basketball. So this is obviously our basketball podcast. So let's dive in with the Christmas games. Obviously the biggest game of the year. Everybody tunes in around Christmas. Uh, football season is coming to an end. Basketball starting to come into effect. And the game that everybody wanted to see, the Clippers and the Lakers. Edgar, what were your first thoughts going into the game? My first thoughts going into the game was that the Lakers would have a way more
1: stronger approach than the opening night of the NBA season. Uh, I was really just expecting LeBron and A.B. to just really give it to Kawhi and P.G. You know, that's really what I was looking for. And I was looking for an energetic, high-scoring, back-and-forth type basketball game. That's what I was expecting going into it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing. I thought this was going to be one of the games of the year. Because usually the Houston and Clippers matchups are down to the wild. So I was expecting the same thing from this game. And it, it, it lived up to the expectation. I thought, I thought it was a very good game. You know what I'm saying? There was some calls that went uh, the Clippers way at the end of the game. But it was still a hell of a game both sides. But – Obviously, if you didn't watch the game, the Clippers won. I think it was 109 to 106. It was a three-point game in some sorts. And and now I hear commentators, a lot of talking heads, saying that Kawhi, even though he won the Finals MVP last year, I don't know if he completely took the crown from LeBron, but now I'm hearing a couple people say Kawhi has the crown and he's the best player. What do you think?
1: I don't feel like Kawhi is the best player in the NBA yet. Uh First off, if we, if we were to say LeBron was to give the torch to anybody, I personally feel like the torch would be given to Giannis. Mm-hmm. And I just say that because Giannis is just, he's his athleticism, just the built that he has and the storming effect that he can have just being a one-man wrecking crew, I just feel like he's the next one to get the torch from LeBron, mm-hmm. not
0: Kawhi, not to take anything away from Kawhi. He's an NBA champion. He's a great defender. He's a great two-way player. But I feel like Giannis would be the one to take the torch next. But, no, I don't feel like anybody has taken it yet from LeBron. I feel like right now he can still show everybody that he's still the best player in the league. Yeah, and I feel like they didn't match up, like, at 100% both ways. I feel like Kawhi was at 100% because, obviously, he is on a low management schedule. And LeBron was just coming off a game where he didn't play. He has a groin injury. He even re-injured it during the game. So, is not fully healthy. So, we couldn't see both of them at, you know what I'm saying, at their peak health-wise. Health so, I think that's why Kawhi really got the edge on LeBron. I still think LeBron is the best player in the NBA right now, just on his impact and his dominance on the on a, a basketball court. But, Kawhi is right there, man. How he controls the game, because he controlled this game the whole way. He really didn't get that much help from Paul George, and he really dominated it on both sides of the ball, man. So, shout out to Kawhi. But... The Clippers coming into this game, they were they were kind of struggling because obviously they haven't really caught a rhythm yet with Kawhi on the low management schedule. He takes a game off here and there. Lou Williams has been in and out of the lineup with uh, some knick knack injuries. So did the Clippers make a statement, especially with the Lakers being number one in the West? I feel like
1: they definitely made a statement. You know, even though the Lakers right now are still the number one team in the West. I feel like the Clippers beating them for the second time in a row, that made a huge statement to everybody that no opening night wasn't just a, a fluke. Yeah. We we are the better team. Like, no matter
0: what kind of firepower LeBron gets, we are the better team. We have the better coach. And we're just we're taking over L.A. I feel like that's the statement the mm-hmm. Clippers wanted to make.
1: And I feel like that's the statement they did make.
0: Yeah. And I think it was just the fact that I think they have the better all-around team. I know everybody started jumping on this Lakers bandwagon because they have the size, they have LeBron, they have everybody. But this Clippers team is just built for the playoffs, man. They have the wings that's built for it. I know they don't they don't have the big man yet to handle somebody like an AD, but they held him down pretty good in my opinion. He only had 24 and I want to say 8 rebounds. So that's the best, like defensive-wise, that's the best type of game you can get out of AD, man. Because if he's not really going off of a 40-piece, you play good defense on them. So Montrez, Hill, Zubac, whoever they were throwing at him were really doing their thing in terms of guarding him. LeBron was held in check. I know he still ended up with almost a triple-double, which is crazy to say he was held in check, but he wasn't getting off. He was like 2 or 12 from the 3. So for the most part, their most dominant players were held in check. And if it wasn't for Kuzma with his um, outburst or with his performance, I don't know where the Lakers would have been in this game because – I think it was thoroughly dominated by the Lakers. Even though the game was thoroughly dominated by the Lakers, you always had that feeling during the game that the, Clip, the Clippers were going to get back in. And they did. So It was very evident in the final quarter of the game. Yeah, and that's when they made the comeback. Yeah, the shooting was just terrible on the Lakers' side. I feel like they just had a very,
1: not only did they have an off-shooting night, but the Clippers capitalized on that off-shooting night as well. You know, Danny Green didn't really do much of anything. Uh, Kuzma was able to get out there and produce. You know, he he's been gone for the past couple games from injuries. So the fact that he was able to come out there and be uh, the force that he was was very affordable to that team. But they just they didn't have the firepower to. To close the game like
0: how they should have. Yeah, and Kuzma showed a lot of people that he's still that dude. Cause a lot of people have been talking like, oh, the Lakers need a third star. They need to trade for Drew Holiday, even though they really don't have the pieces to make a trade for anybody of Drew Holiday's caliber. But they were saying they need to make a trade. Da 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 da. But Kuzma showed you that he can still be that dude. He's somebody who can, especially coming off the bench now, who can give you twenty points on any given night, and he should be able to actually give you that consistently. So if you're getting that consistently off your bench, I know the, uh, the Clippers came back and won, but if he's giving you that consistently, and if a couple more players are hitting shots, the Lakers win that game. So I don't know. But I just want to lead into another topic because after this game, a lot of people were saying that the Lakers are missing something. The Lakers need another combo guard. Maybe they need another win. They were talking about an Andre Iguodala. So what do you feel like the Lakers are missing looking at the Christmas game? I feel like the Lakers might be missing. I
1: don't feel like they're missing any shooters. I just feel like the shooters they have just aren't hitting shots. Mm. I feel
2: like that's really the problem yeah.
1: with their shooting. Yeah. But maybe trying to find a different way to get another floor general. You know, maybe LeBron shouldn't run the point as much as
0: he is. Mm. Hit it on the head. There you go. Yeah. And how do you feel about Rondo? Do you feel like Rondo is still – uh, capable of being somebody who gets heavy minutes in the fourth quarter, or would you rather see somebody else other than the Rondo? I don't feel like Rondo should get as heavy of minutes as he
1: does. I don't feel like he's the answer to their ball control situation right now that mm-hmm. they need to improve on. I feel like they should try to find somebody else. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure whether they would have to trade or like pick somebody up just out of free Bro, I got I they got, got,
0: got the name for you, dog. I got the name for you. We talked about him uh, a minute ago, Jamal Crawford's still there, bruh. He's still somebody who can give you buckets and something that was so underrated by his game, he can get other people involved as well. I know we look at the flashy moves, but, bruh, Jamal Crawford can drop some dimes on you, man. And I feel like they need a combo guard like that, especially in it. Jamal's not going to give you anything on defense, but you have the big man down low that can, can compensate for that. So if you get somebody like a Jamal coming off your bench, and you cut down on Rondo's minutes because he's not really a shooter like that. So, that really affects LeBron because you don't have to guard Rondo as much. So, they're creeping into the paint. So, I feel like if you bring in a Jamal or somebody of that nature, the Lakers could be on and, fi- on and popping, man. So, yeah. Um, next topic, the other Christmas game a lot of people wanted to see. Um, coming into the season, they were the top two teams. That we were thinking we're going to be the top two teams in the East Milwaukee versus Philly and Philly ended up getting the edge So how did you feel about this game? What were your thoughts? I was very impressed because I felt like Joel B really needed to show everybody. He needed to show everybody that he can be Possibly the best player in the league. He can be the one to maybe pass Giannis and say no I'm the best player in the league. Not yeah. you. I control the East. Not you. Exactly. He he showed that attitude, game, and I, I feel like a lot of people counted them out. I feel like a lot of people felt like no that game. I feel like a, a lot of people. Felt oh, I, actually, 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 but I'm actually gonna. I'm, I guess I'm speaking off my perspective. I I just believe in Philly so much, but I actually do agree with you that people do count out Philly because of their inconsistent play from time to time.
1: Yeah, I I, I feel like I feel like Joel and Be. He's the leader that that team needs. He's He has the spirit, he has the fight in him. It's just he needs to find different ways to just be more consistent every single night and, and do that. You mm. know, I feel like he needs to find ways to dominate every single night. And Christmas Day was a great day to show that he can be that player. And when put up to the match, and going up against that monster who was Antetokounmpo, he did back down, he played, he played most of the game, he got majority
0: of the points for that team, and he he got the team that win that day. He shut he shut him down. I think Anthony Cooper was eight of twenty seven. His stat line looked good, but he really didn't play good. If you actually watched the game, he was yeah. he, they were leaving they were, they were leaving him wide open. And after we just seen, after what we just seen last week with him against the Lakers, we seen how he has to become more consistent with that jump shot because they weren't even guarding him. Like Joel Embiid was guarding him most of the time. And Joel and B was literally disrespecting him. When after the coupon, at the three point line, and B was literally sitting in the paint saying, I'm not gonna guard you and to Coopo shot the threes, wasn't dropping like they were against the Lakers. So I told you that. I, I didn't fall for the he's creating a jump
1: shot for himself. I feel like this is not gonna be consistent. If it's consistent during the regular season, I promise you it's not gonna carry over into the playoffs. I promise. Giannis, I just don't see that being another arsenal for Giannis uh, not a not a jumper like that at least not a
0: 20 foot plus jumper I think it just it still has to come though because he just started taking three what last year so he's gonna have games where he's still up and down but at least he's shooting them other than the other man on the other side of the court Ben Simmons at least he's taking them you know what I'm saying at least he has the confidence enough to take the shots so I still respect that to him but he still has to improve on it with the consistency man people weren't guarding him when he came into the paint and that's, what, that's the thing I actually loved about Philly, and that's why I thought Philly was going to get to the finals, is because they have so many bodies that they can throw at Estocopo. You have Ben Simmons, you you have Al Horford, you have Joel Embiid, and both all of them are tremendous defenders and people that can stay in front of Estocopo. So I think they can have a Toronto style of defense, somebody that can just sag off of him, and then you can just create a uh, create a wall where he doesn't get in the paint, where he wants to get. So that's why I really picked Philly coming into the season. And everything came to fruition when watching that game. And everything that I liked about Philly coming into the season was, was what I seen. So is Philly the biggest threat to the Bucks now that you've seen the Christmas Day game? Or who else you riding with? Uh, Philly and Miami are still going to be my two favorites to make it out of the East and to really threaten the Bucks. I, I know the Bucks are still. I, are the Bucks still number one team in the
1: East, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like Miami and I feel like Philly are the two teams that can really threaten them. Maybe not for taking the number one seed, but definitely threaten them as being the number one um, team to beat when playoff time comes.
0: See, I, I see. I like Miami, but like I said, I don't think they have the bodies to throw at as the Corpo like Philly does. I feel like you have a Jimmy Butler. You, yeah, you would throw Bam on there, but after after those two, I mean, maybe Winslow, but I feel like Winslow going to get traded, so it's like, who what are the bodies you actually throw at Kumpo? But Philadelphia has lived they on don't that. Have,
1: have the depth to really go against Kumpo like that, and I, I agree on that standpoint.
0: Yeah, It would be a situation
1: where you would just have to beat them with small ball.
0: And, with mm-hmm. the, and the thing that
1: Miami does a lot more yeah. than any other That's team... in. Any... beat people by playing small ball and those
0: mismatches to their advantage. Yeah. And what Miami does against the Bucks usually and what Miami does better than any other team in the league is run zone. I know a lot of people think that's such a coward thing, but it works. Against Philly it works and when Miami plays against the Bucs, that's all they play. So maybe something like a zone could work against the Bucks in a playoff situation, but the Bucks have so many shooters, man, they can bust you out of a zone. So I don't know if a zone is holding up in the playoffs if you're Miami. But Philly can guard you truly one-on-one. So I think Philly is the biggest threat for the Bucks. And I still, watching that Christmas Day game made me feel better about my finals pick. And I'm still rocking out with Philly. Because I feel like it's all going to come together at the end of the season. And Philly couldn't miss. That was another thing. Philly couldn't miss on, on what was that, Wednesday? Yeah, Philly couldn't miss on Wednesday. I don't think they're going to shoot like that every game. But if they shoot anything similar to that, the team is lights out, bruh. I still think they need another shooter. I still think they miss J.J. Reddick. But if they get some type of shooter, man, they're ready. And I think they a leader, too. Because I feel like J.J. Reddick was a leader in that locker room and somebody that held everybody together. He was cool with everybody on the team. And with him leaving, I think that left a big hole in the locker room. Because now you have to ride with either Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid as your leaders. You have no veterans in the locker room. I feel like a veteran shooter can come in there and actually be a leader. Just like a Paul Pierce was to the young Wizards when they had John Wall and Bill and Bill. They really didn't know who the leader was. You bring Paul Pierce in there, somebody who's, who who uh, could still play at the time, he was a veteran leader, he already had championship experience. If you bring somebody in like that, somebody who doesn't need the ball, doesn't dominate it, but who can hold this team together, I think it can take them to the next level. So that's why I'm saying Philly's going to make a trade because Philly is ballsy. They're going to make some type of trade, sign somebody, and it's going to take them to the next level. Okay, moving on to the next topic, man. So this is something I wanted to get into for a long, long time. The Harden vs. Luka perception. So, egg, tell me what your perception is of Luka and how he plays the game. My perception of Luka is is similar to James Harden, you know, as far as how much they both dominate the ball and how much they both play iso and whatnot. I just I appreciate Luka's game a little bit more because
1: I don't feel like he tries to – I personally feel like he doesn't try to fight for the fouls as much as James Harden does. I feel like he uses that iso ball to his advantage because of his skills. But he still plays to get the bucket, not to get the foul
0: and the bucket. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I appreciate. So that's Harden. what you really don't like about Harden. It's just the fouls. Everything else you cool I with. don't like about Harden that much. I promise it is like ball handling skills,
1: great. Uh, shot selections, most of, most of the time, great. You know, I, I appreciate Harden's game. I just hate the fact that he fights to
0: get the penalty. Sometimes before he even fights to get the basket. That's really my problem with it. Mm. Okay, so Edgar said his piece. So the consensus on the Harden and Luca, like Edgar said, they play basically the same way. But if you were on social media or if you just listen to the talking heads out here, you would think that Luca doesn't dominate or doesn't play the same way as a James Harden. So mostly James Harden is hated for his style of play. And this is coming from somebody who, at first, I really didn't like Harden and his style of play. But I've grown to love it just seeing how he still, even with his style of play, he can he's the he had the highest IQ on the floor. He can still get everybody involved in the game at the same time. The things that Luka are doing or is doing, James Harden is doing the same thing. So that's what I've grown to love about a Harden. At the beginning he wasn't like that. It was just a score score scoring mentality. But when Dan Tony came in there, Dan Tony got his system, you know what I'm saying? Harden flourished at a player. But the misconception about Harden is he doesn't get his teammates involved or he doesn't play the right way. But Luca plays the same way and everybody loves Luca so much and that's what throws me off because it's like they play the same exact way. So if you're going to throw so much hate at Harden, why is Luca getting no hate? Is it just the fouls that everybody is hating on or is it something else? So, I, I
1: really feel like it's the fouls, bro. I really feel like that's what it is. Like If you watch if you want if you put both two screens next to each other and watch Luca play and watch Harden play, I promise you'll see a difference in how much Harden fights for the foul over the basket sometimes and how much Luca doesn't. I promise you can see you can see a distinct difference between both of them. Mm,
0: I, I feel that. And I, I but I that's something I give Harden credit for. But that's what I see now, that's what a lot of people discredit about Harden. But I think that, that just comes with the IQ of the game. Even though I do think Luka plays with more pick and roll than a James Harden. I think Harden is obviously still the highest ISO player in the league. But Luka does it the same way, but he just has more pick and rolls thrown in from here to there. But Luka, he takes so much usage away from his other players. Because you seen when Luka was out, well, KB was going crazy, wasn't he? He was going for 30, he was getting off. Now Luka comes back. KP back to doing his regular 15 that he was doing the whole season. So everybody's usage goes down. And this is the same thing with the James Harden effect. When James Harden doesn't get any double teams thrown at him, and when he can just play his one-on-one, his pick-and-roll basketball, Westbrook usage goes down, and Chris Paul usage used to go down. So it affects everybody's um play on the court with that. So they're basically the same player. I but, feel like when it comes to when you compare that with Harden and Luka I feel like the difference is we've seen this before with the Rockets and we've seen it not work multiple times now the fact that we're seeing the same thing again from the Rockets
1: hey they're winning right now they're doing good now but come playoff time come come conference finals time we know how this is going to end we know the other system Whatever other but, system they play, we know this system that they're doing is not going to work because we've seen from past experiences now that it has
0: not worked. Okay, but I mean, look, and I'll give you that. I'll give you that it's not going to work in the playoffs. I have no argument for that. But, this is the first time we've seen the Mavericks do this. This is the first time we're seeing Luka do this. So that's why we're not as critical because we're, we don't know if this system can't work with but him. No, if it's not working for Harden and they're playing the same exact way, how is it going to work? not work for Harden and work for Luka? If they're playing the same exact way, it and it not work for Harden, but don't know yet if it'll work for Luka or not, that's why we're more critical of So the mystery is what's keeping you intrigued right now? That, I feel like that's what it is. The fact that we don't, we simply don't know if this is going to work with Luka or not, that's why we're less critical. With Harden, we've seen two or three times now that this does not work in the end all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can respect that, but see, you had a good comeback for that. But I just feel like hard just gets too much of it, man. And like I said, I was somebody who, I was feeling the same way as you guys. His style of play just wasn't hitting with me. But now it's just, like, I love this dude. I love the way he plays, man. I truly, truly do. I love the way he plays. And I love the way Luca plays. But if that's the fact of why is somebody getting hate for playing that type of style and somebody's getting love for it. But I feel what Edgar is saying, though, because it's just the mystery of it, and we don't know what Luca's full potential is going to be. And can he really grow from this style? And I feel like it's a coaching advantage uh, on the same way, too. I feel like Rick Carlisle, who is already a championship head coach, is on a different level than a Mike D'Antoni who we see has a ceiling. So I feel like that's the only difference, though, is the coaching. It has to be the coaching, man. And one, one last thing when it comes to the Harden case. Mike D'Antoni, he's really forcing this system of play when, like I said again, like we've
1: seen it not work multiple times now. So the fact that D'Antoni just continues to say we're not going to change the way we play. This is how we play. This is our game. Okay, we understand that, and we understand you guys are trying to make everybody play your game instead of playing everybody else's game. We get that, but it's literally not working. So our mm-hmm. our questions raised and that's why we're like, can this style of play work?
0: But look, but I don't think the fact that I don't think it's not working. They just been in situations where they haven't what is what is the word I'm looking for? Mm. They just haven't come come through in the situations. In the clutch situations they falter. Because we've seen in the past two playoffs, they've had their chances. And whether it was a couple of years ago, and it was game seven, they missed 20-something three-pointers in a row, and that was even without a Chris Paul, and then you come this year, KD gets hurt, and they don't take advantage of that. I think it's just not taking advantage of the opportunities that you have in front of you and just not taking care of those situations more than it is the system. Because I think the system can work, but we just never see it work because they've been in the situations where They haven't come clutch in the opportunities where they should have taken advantage of. You feel what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I I see what you're saying.
0: I feel like it's more of that. It's more of a clutch thing than a system thing. I feel like the system could work, but it's just like, are the players going to hit the shots when they need to? Because those same shots that they missed in the playoffs, those shots are going in, you know what I'm saying, in the first and second rounds or whatever, and in the regular season. But when it's clutch time and where everybody needs to step up, everybody falls back. So it's, I feel like it's more that than the system. Because I feel like a Steve that's Nash... A, that's a sensible
2: argument. I can understand
0: that. Yeah, because I feel like a Steve Nash, we've never seen his true potential, whether it was injuries when he played against the Spurs or injuries to a Marley I've never seen Steve Nash's full potential with a D'Antoni system. I know, and that's even with two MVPs, I've never seen him... I feel like he, he could have taken it to another level in the postseason. Because I feel like a Steve Nash was clutcher than a James Harden in a postseason setting. But we've never seen it because either they weren't put in the situations where we had to see them in a pressure-packed situation or they just haven't gotten there, whether it was injuries or whatever. So I think it's just more of the situations not coming clutch than it is the system. I know a lot of people wag them. they like, okay, D'Antoni's system, we see it's not working. But I feel like the system works to a certain degree. But at a certain point, it's like, you got to make a basket. James, you gotta hit a basket, dog. This system got me to this point. It's ninety-eight, ninety-eight. James, you gonna hit this shot? Westbrook, you gonna hit this shot? And it's on the, the the guys, your stars, you paying millions to hit the shots. The system got me to ninety-eight, ninety-eight. Now it's on my stars to hit the bucket. If the stars not hitting the buckets, it's nothing I can do as a coach. I'll put you in the situation. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And that's just what it is. So, and that's what Dan twenty-two. Exa- exactly, exactly, bro. So a lot of people uh, misperceive D'Antoni and Harden, when really I don't think they're as bad as a lot of people want to make it out or make it seem. I feel like the the criticism is so strong with that. It's because we know you all are going to make it to the postseason. Yeah, I feel like I don't want to say fans don't care about the regular season, but it's like a situation where we know where you guys are going to end up like 5 months from now, 5 6 months from now. It's December right now. We know where you're going to be about May or June, you know, it's going to be late in the playoffs, may, maybe Western Conference finals if it's not a LA LA matchup. then you, you
1: guys are like the next favorite to make it to the Western Conference finals, you know. We know where you're going to end up. So that's why we're so critical right now of how this system works because we know it can work during the regular season. We're not worried about that. Yes. We, we don't care about where you get placed as far as playoff contention. We know you're going to, at the end, you're going to be a top five, at the lowest, top six playoff team. Mm-hmm. We understand this. But what are the steps after that? We yeah. know you can get all the way to the Western Conference Finals with this. But can you actually win it? Like exactly. you said, can
0: you mm-hmm. all come up clutch? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just more on the clutch or the player's clutch in the situation. And we've seen they're not. But I don't think that's got anything to do with uh, Mike D'Antoni. Well, I think that has. Let's been... say the system doesn't work this season. Let's say they do this ISO
1: ball thing, even with what Russell Westbrook did. Let's say the same system is still implemented. And let's say months from now, the Rockets are facing somebody in the Western Conference Finals. And we're in a situation where they lose the Western Conference Finals again. And it's like, wow, questions are raised. Is James mm-hmm. Harden ever going to be clutched? Is yeah. this system actually worth continuing
0: to try? Like, I feel like these are the questions that are going to be raised. Yeah. And I feel like those are the questions that but should be raised. Style. And I don't think a change of style will improve them because they were saying, okay, fire Dan Tony. You fire Dan Tony, who are you going to get?
1: No, I wouldn't say fire
0: Dan Tony. But I'm just saying right. that's what the media has been saying because yeah. they think that would take them to another level. So, yeah. But will it really take them to another level? Because this system has got you to a Western Conference finals. But if I bring in another coach, am I going to get to the Western Conference Finals again? Or am I going to have to take a step back? James Harden can't have the ball as much. And he can't dominate. And he can't show off his spectacular skills. Is that going to make everybody else involved? And is I'm that really going to improve? chance the
1: curiosity of that than getting another coach just to try the same system.
0: Mm-hmm. If that makes
1: sense. i would have to challenge the curiosity of not knowing.
0: Yeah. So. And, that's, and, that's, and I think that's all it is, bro. It's just the curiosity of not knowing. So I feel like that was the perfect words for it because I don't think of Tony and if he wants to get fired, I think they take a step back more than they take a step forward, because he getting you to the Western Conference or to the second round last year, and if you take Tony out of that, so you take the system, so that means James Harden stats going down. You know what I'm saying? They're probably playing at a slower pace because they're still playing at one of the ha- uh, highest paces, and well, but I think that's
1: willing to have James Harden sacrifice his stats. To give them possibly a finals appearance or a finals win, instead of him averaging 37 points a game, would you rather him average like just 26 and be able to make Mm. it all the way to the finals and maybe win the finals, or would you Mm. rather him have his high averages and not really know if this system is ever gonna work?
0: That's a good point. That's something I heard. Um, what's his name? White dude, Cowher. He was talking about that too, about the stats going down but the play and everybody else goes up. So. Yeah, I like that argument as well. But I think it's just more on Harden's shoulders, man. He just has to step up in those situations. You have to hit the shots when they need it. Because even in a game five last year, he had a couple shots that could have sealed the deal. And he didn't hit them. So now everybody looking at Harden, and it's like, hey, this is your second, second, third time in this situation. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not hitting the shots that you were making or you've been making in the regular season. Why the dip? Because his stats are still the same, honestly. Even though people say he, you know, uh, even though people say he dips in the playoffs, his stats are the same from the playoffs in the regular season. They still like 34, whatever, 34, eight and six or whatever. So his stats are still the same, but it's just those moments he needs to come clutch in those moments. And we also could think because you brought up the point of if when he sacrifices points going down for a championship. And I, I counter with that. Everybody doesn't want to win a championship. Even though James Harden does seem like the person that wants to win, everybody, that's not for everybody. Like, everybody it doesn't have to be a champion to have a legacy. I think he's more iconic if he just scores for 40 every night. I think he's more iconic in the record books. And that's even without a championship. You know what I'm saying? We know Charles Barkley for not winning the championship. But it's like... Man, he's such a great player. It's like, damn, do we really care? It's like, damn, he was so good. So I feel like that's that's going to go out of people's minds when they think about his accomplishments down the road. I, I don't feel like it'll go out of their minds, but it'll definitely give him room to not have a
1: championship. He'll be able, like, uh, I don't want to say Charles Barkley, but he'll, he'll be a player where you know he was talented, you know he was a force, But dang, he just couldn't get no championships.
0: Like, I feel like that's what it'll be when people talk about him. So, okay, i take away Charles Barkley because I feel like people know him more for not having a championship because he was put in those situations. He was put in a finals against Jordan. He had a chance. So I feel like Barkley was a bad example. A Bernard King. somebody. It
1: was a poor example. I
0: was just going off the top of my head with just that type of situation. Oh, no, yeah, that's on me. But I'll give you somebody like a Bernard King. Bernard King used to go crazy. Everybody knows Bernard King for his scoring. But he played for the Knicks, never won a championship. But we all know Bernard King for what? Getting off, off, going for 50 here and there, going for 30. Everybody knows Bernard King for scoring buckets. And if that's your legacy and you go away with that legacy no championship and nobody even brings up the the no championship part, it's like, damn, man, I had a great career. That championship ain't for everybody. LeBron was running, running my era. Steph was running my era. Hey, I just got to chop it up to the greats, and that's what the people's in, people in the 90s had to do. They just had to chop it up to the game. Jordan was the best player of that era. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Hakeem got his couple, but hey, they were just better players during that time, and I feel like that's how people are going to look back at a Harden. It's like he just had better players in front of him. He had a Steph. He had a LeBron. He had a KD. They were all in front of him, and they were all better players. So he couldn't get over that hump, like a lot of people in the nineties say. A lot of people in the nineties feel, like a Gary Payton, who fell short, like a Carl Malone that fell short. You know what I'm saying? These all tremendous players, but the players in front of them were so great that they couldn't match it. Especially in the when it county. But that's just on James man to step up to the plate when it comes to clutch time. But we spent enough time on that. Uh moving on to Westbrook. Harden's running mate. He has been playing way better. We ragged on Westbrook a couple weeks ago, but he's playing way better these last few weeks. I think he's averaging... Let me look it up. Let me look it up. He's averaging 27 for the month of December. 27, 8, and 7. He's still shooting terrible from the three-point line. He shouldn't be taking a lot of them. He's taking 6, 7 a game. But he shouldn't be lowering that and taking more twos. but he's playing way better. And I think that's because Harden has been getting double teamed, so he has more time to operate, more space to operate. So how do you even feel about Westbrook? Do you think uh, this will lead to wins in the playoffs, or do you think this could be something of signs to come that should play with uh, Westbrook more than a James Harden? As of right now, I feel like I, I like what I'm seeing. I like what I see from Westbrook. I like the the fact that he's showing a consistent high average of points. You know, like you say, he's not really – scoring that well from, from the three. I don't feel like he should be taking that many threes a game either. I feel like he shouldn't try for any more than five unless he gets hot. If he somehow gets hot and makes like three or four out of five, mm, yeah.
1: go for seven, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Try not to go for any more than five during the entire game if I was Westbrook. I just never really liked him as a perimeter shooter, Yeah, personal opinion, but I feel like this can help the team in the long run especially if he can carry this through um, the rest of winter and after All-Star break. I feel like that's when it's truly going to need to be evident. After All-Star break, can Russell Westbrook continue to be this clutch secondary player for this yeah. team? <clears throat> yeah, and I, that's what that's what I was getting at. But I was saying, should they move to the system of just letting Westbrook run the point and Harden run the two and just having the ball in Westbrook's hands more, more of the time? And just letting him, letting Harden play off-ball since he's already getting denied the ball every time he gets uh, rid of it. So they just play with Westbrook running the point.
1: If you do that, you'll literally be changing the system that's been going on. And I feel like if it works, if you're in the
2: groove of it already, don't don't address it, don't try to change it, just keep doing what you're doing. That's Mm -hmm.
1: the situation where don't fix it if it's not broken. Yeah. Let it happen. If you feel like... Russell touching the ball more lately has resulted in us winning more. Don't try to change it. Don't try to make James Harden just force points. You know, just let let
0: it naturally happen. But this is again is another double-edged sword that we were talking about. So Westbrook has his games where so Harden's been getting double-teamed every game. Basically, he doesn't even take as many uh many shots as he used to earlier in the season. But he still ends up getting like 35 somehow. But we see it on Christmas Day. They lost to the Golden State Warriors. Golden State has nobody. And Harden was getting double teamed the whole game. Westbrook, the ball was in Westbrook's hands most of the time. Westbrook, what are you going to do? He gave us a stinker. An 8 for, or 11 for 32. 34%. oh from 8 from the 3. So it's like, if we do give you the ball, it's like you just have to produce more. So it's like he's been playing so well, but then he'll give you a stinker. Like that in the playoffs, but it's like. Ah, we can't we can't have we can't get stinkers in the playoffs, Russ. We need nothing but good stuff in the playoffs. We can't have stinkers, especially when Harden's getting double teamed. You and others have to make plays. And if you're gonna give me 11 for 32 for 11 for 32 and a 0 for 8 from the three, it's like, damn, can I really trust you like that?
1: And that's true. That's why I said after All Star break is really gonna be the determinant factor. Um, I want to say through. Half of February and all of March. That's gonna be the time that we're gonna need to see can running through Westbrook make this offense any better, mm-hmm. or do we just have to stick with what's been going on with letting Harden try to uh, do his ISO play, and he has been getting double teamed a lot more recently. Mm, yeah, yeah, and that dribble, let alone get shots off, you know. So it's it's just gonna have to come down to what D'Antoni feels is gonna work best. I feel like right now since Russ is kind of on a little hot streak. Even though they lost Christmas Day, other than that, for the rest of this month, they've been on a little hot streak. Yeah. Going with what's working for right now.
0: Yeah. And that's the reason for Westbrook's status going up. Harden is just getting double teamed, so Westbrook can take it to the rack. He can shoot. But that's another reason why he's shooting so many threes, too. Because when Harden gets double teamed top of the key, I pass it to Westbrook, Westbrook can either take it to the lane, or he got an open three. It's like, man, I'm chilling. I can shoot this three. And it's like, Man, Westman, you'd be better off taking that lane and shooting that three, especially how these percentages looking. It's like, man, I'd rather you just take it to the, take it to the hole unless you're hot, like you were saying earlier. Unless you're hot, man, go for it. But, man, if you're not hot, you know you're not going to hit. Man, take that thing to the rack. If somebody come at you, dish that thing out. It's all you're already playing four on three, basically, because they got two people on horn. So if, you get, if somebody guards you when you go into the hole, keep that thing out, you got nothing but shooters around you. Especially with the Rockets, Eric Gordon coming back, uh, I think tomorrow. So team gonna be whole again. I I I don't know, bro. I said this in a I said this in a tweet. I said this in a tweet uh, last week. I said I think the Clippers are more worried about the Rockets than they are about the Lakers because I think the Clippers match up well with the Lakers. But it's something about James Harden going up against a Kawhi and PG that they they can't stop that man. You can throw anybody at him, and it's just something against him against the Clippers, man. And especially when Westbrook is going up against Pat Bev. You already know how heated those matchups can be. It's something that, it's something about them against the Clippers, man, that I'm really favoring Houston right now in those matchups. So have you been seeing that? Have you seen any trend that that you would Mm, that you would like to see in the playoffs. Any matchup that you would like to see. I, I have been liking this Houston Clippers matchup for a little minute now. I just like the, the heat in it. It's not even a rivalry, but just the heat in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's energetic and I feel like with Pat Bev and Russ either almost fouling out or being ejected every game, that's just such a monumental
1: swinger in everything. So I just feel like defensively, the Clippers know they can lose a piece by losing Pat Bev in situations like that, either from foul trouble or ejection. Yeah. That <clears throat> Kawhi and PG, even though they're both well-known for their defensive effort, the fact that James Harden knows, no matter who you are, James exactly. Harden knows so how dynamic. foul
0: him. Yeah. That's what we were talking about yeah. earlier. He knows how to get the foul and I understand why you
2: appreciate that cuz like you said he knows how to make the game work in his favor.
1: Mhm. he can even make Kawhi Talented and brilliant
0: as he is defensively. He can make Kawhi slip up and yep. get in foul trouble like late in the third, you know. Mhm. And that's why I like the, that's why I like that matchup more than I even though I think it's going to be a LA versus LA conference finals. It's something about the Clippers against Houston, man. Mm, I don't think I don't think Houston will beat the Lakers, but I think in a seven game series Houston and the Clippers are going seven games I truly think that and it's just gonna be like who hits the bigger shots and we have seen from past history that a hard probably wouldn't hit that shot in the Kawhi wood, but I feel like that series would definitely go seven bro And I would love to see it and I think the Clippers would rather like I said would rather see the Lakers because I think Kawhi, PG are better matchups against LeBron than they are against the Harden because Harden is so dynamic as a scorer and he can draw the foul, you can get in foul trouble he can have you sitting down early he can get you out of a rhythm so early or so late in a game that they can take you out where LeBron, even though he is a freight train and he can take it to the rack he's just not as dynamic so I feel like they're more worried about the Clippers or the Clippers are more worried about the Rockets man and we've obviously seen the Lakers against the Clippers. It, they are tough matchups, but I would give that to the Clippers. I would give the uh, the edge to the Clippers in that in, that, uh, in the, uh, conference finals matchup. But it's something about the Rockets, man, that I've been, I've been feeling lately, man. Even though they dropped that dud against the Warriors. But they can have those stinker games because when we live and die by the three, that's what you get. But it's something about the Rockets, man, that I'm feeling recently. Um. Anything else before we move on? Uh, no, that, that's it for that topic. All right, all right, man. Let's get into this Jordan Clarkson trade, man. I know a lot of people slept on this trade. You probably got the you probably got the notification on your phone. You looked at it and said, "Man, this trade, trade, man. Two people getting traded, man. They are gonna be irrelevant." But I'm telling y'all, man, this trade is gonna is gonna be way bigger than you guys think. I'm gonna let Edgar get into it first. Yeah, I I feel like this trade was definitely overlooked because I overlooked
1: it today, especially, like, because my my phone goes off all day on Twitter for NBA and NFL stuff. So when I seen Jordan Clarkson, I didn't even give it a second glance. I just swiped back up and was like, okay, Jordan Clarkson got traded. But then when I ran into it later, I was like, oh, he, he went to the Jazz. And I was like, well, who did the Jazz get rid of? Like, how did this happen? And seeing that they got rid of Dante Exum, and two second round picks. I was like, this is a
0: steal. Exactly.
1: let just pull this off. I mean, of course, it's Cleveland just being Cleveland again, doing Cleveland-like stuff, because this is something Cleveland would do if nobody else would. But mm-hmm. the fact that the Jazz were able to pull that off, I feel like Jordan Clarkson just been sitting in Cleveland so long right now not doing nothing. He' going to be a very valuable piece for this um, Utah team.
0: Yeah, I feel the same exact way, man, because the Jazz's second unit stinks. They have people coming off the be- off the bench like George Niang, Emmanuel Moutier, uh Who else come off the bench? Roy O'Neill. They don't have players off the bench that can get a bucket, so they rely so much on Donovan Mitchell. But you put Donovan Mitchell at the point with the second unit. You let you put Conley on the bench. You put Jordan Clarkson at the two and let Jordan be Jordan Clarkson. And Jordan Clarkson, if he's not anything else in the league. He can get a bucket, man, for sure. If you let him be him, he can get a bucket. And I feel like that's going to be so big for a Jazz team, especially when they struggle to find offense. It feels like every year that's their problem. They have the defense. But every year it's just do they have enough scoring. So getting the scoring punch in a Jordan Clarkson is going to be huge for them down the stretch. And he played last night against, uh, who they played last night, Portland. And he looked good in that second unit. So I think this is going to be a, make a huge difference for the for the Jazz moving forward. And the trade was Jordan Clarkson for Dante Exum and two second round picks. And Dante Dante Exum is a bust. Two second round picks who even cares? So, that trade going to the Jazz. Uh moving on. So we so obviously Zion is not back from injury. We thought he was going to be back by now, but he's still out. And now we're starting to hear reports of he's learning how to walk again, he's learning how to run again so Edgar you, we know we talked about this before but will Zion be the same player when he comes back from the injury before I answer that question <laughs> I do want to shout out Charles
1: Barkley because on Inside the NBA they he tried to show Zion on TV how to walk and run again and watching Charles Barkley running Air Force is, is
0: one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen I seen that joke right? that joke was funny yeah shout out to uh Charles. Yes, sir. Uh, I feel like um, I don't think he'll be the same when he comes back. I Zion, I don't feel like he'll be the same. Uh, just because of the fact that his weight and his size just doesn't match up with the way he plays. He plays like John Morant, but in Shaq's body, if that's a, a good way to say it. Yeah. He, he, he can jump out the gym. But he's huge. <laughs> The way he lands due to his okay. weight and size it's just not healthy for his knees. And I feel like when you're a big man like that, even though he's not even
2: like a center type, he, your back and your and your knees are, are your money makers, you know, mm-hmm. that he won't be able. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if he sits out the rest of the season. I don't care if he comes back, um, you know, for after all-star break. No matter
0: when he comes back, he's not going to be the same player. He's mm-hmm. not going to be this – phenom that we just so used to seeing. If he is, it's not going to live long. I promise. Mm, especially with this knee surgery. I don't know if I talked about it earlier, man, but with the mes- uh, meniscus surgery, man, D-Wade had that surgery. Jimmy Butler had that surgery, and we seen the, the knee problems D-Wade had when it came to the meniscus. He Obviously, like Edgar said... Uh, when he yeah, comes man. back, He'll
2: have moments yeah, exactly,
0: he gonna like even for he not even moments. He's gonna have a couple years where he's fine because D Wade was fine for a minute. But it's like when in the middle on the back end of your career, okay, injuries start to pile up. Like we seen with a D Wade, it's like damn, D Wade could have been better than he was, and he was already great. But the injuries brought him down when he could have been even greater. You know what I'm saying? So it's like that. That's something I'm seeing for a Zion right now, especially with that meniscus. And that's something I'm fearing for Jimmy right now because a couple of years ago he had a meniscus, a meniscus a partial replacement or whatever they call it. They took a little bit out of his meniscus, so he's gonna have the same problems in a couple of years. It's like it's inevitable when it comes to the the meniscus when they take out some of your meniscus, man. You need that. That's the cushion between your patella and your actual uh, what they call that patella and the, uh, your ACL. So you actually need you really really need that cushion, man. Similar surgery to that last year in 2018 in the summer.
1: It wasn't anything as serious But it, it was something to where I had to get my knee, you know flushed out and I had to
0: get exactly get my checked, bro. My is Mm-hmm exactly and like d so, same way problems, I had to learn how to walk
1: again. I had to learn how to You know jog. I had to learn how to do all that within a matter of weeks and months, you know, so
0: hmm d D-Wave was the same way a whole lot of knee flushes. It's like man so, it, it definitely catches up with you. So, I feel like when he comes back, he's not going to be out a dynamic, but we're still going to see those Zion players from here and there, those crazy blocks. But we're really going to see it towards the middle and the back end. It's like, damn, Zion hurt again. Damn, Zion hurt again. It's one of the yeah, the meniscus. When they take out your meniscus, it's one of those type of injuries. So, moving on from that. But I hope he comes back and he plays well, man, for the time that he does have, bro. The NBA is a short. I
2: hope he comes back and plays well.
0: Yeah, man, I don't, and I don't think he should come back this year, especially with the Pelicans being so trash. So let him sit out here and do his Ben Simmons thing and then come back where the team has uh, a world of expectations and not just coming back and the team is like 6-24 or whatever they are right now. So just come back, expectations renewed. They can have a, a couple more pieces, and we just have a whole new team when it comes to the Pelicans. Okay, next, we're moving on to a who's the Who's Better segment, of this podcast so since it's the end of the year it's the 27th but we're coming down to the end of the decade and a lot of people have been coming out with the oh, all decade list for the nba for the nfl you know what i'm saying you got your nfl 100s your all decade for college your nba nfl but we want to talk about three specific people that i feel like should be in or should have a case to be in the all decade first team for the nba So, we know the first team already, basically. We know it's Steph Curry. We know it's Braun. We know it's KD. We know it's Kawhi. But the second guard position is not filled. And it's between Chris Paul, James Harden, and Westbrook. So, Edgar, who you got? Uh, Before the podcast started, I was telling Quincy that I feel like I would
2: narrow it down between Chris Paul and Westbrook. Just for the simple... You don't leave at home? Not, not just looking at it from a... Not just looking at it from a... Um, from a who fits the team better standpoint. Not even looking at it that way. Yeah. That you already have the dy- dynamic shooter of Steph Curry field for the first team. You know, um, in the first slot for the first team. But I feel
1: like that second slot, we should attribute a more all-around on guard for that second spot. And I feel like Chris Paul or Westbrook would be the better choice. And I feel like I would probably uh just off of just off of face, I would probably give it to Chris Paul. You know, he's on he's a seven time all star. Nothing else really to back him up other than uh just being the dynamic uh, ball handler that he was, the floor general that he was. You know, Russell Westbrook has an M V P and He's a scoring champion and everything,
0: but I, I I, just feel like Chris Paul would be the better fit for that second piece next to Steph Curry. Yeah, and Chris Paul carried a Clippers team who wasn't relevant at all, was trash. We were, we didn't even uh, acknowledge the Clippers to actually raising them into a contender. Even though they didn't show anything in the playoffs, they were actually a contending team. So he raised them from nothing to actually something. So Chris Paul, legacy-wise, he brought that that whole, uh, that whole franchise up. The franchise wouldn't be where it is right now without a Chris Paul. Is what I'm saying. So, so.
1: legacy wise and off face, I would say Chris Paul.
0: If you're just mm. going off strictly accolades and stats, then you can make a case
1: for the other two. But I'm going off of legacy and the impact that he's had.
0: Mm-hmm. But nah, man, I'm around with James Harden, brother truth, I'm going with the best player, man Out of the three, in my opinion I'm around with the best player Second best scorer of all time, in my opinion He has only one MVP But he's been second place four or five times He could have, like, four MVPs right now He's an eight-time All-Star Two-time scoring champ. You know, Westbrook guy has his case as well Because that year when he was by himself In OKC He carried that team who really had nobody And carried them to uh you know what I'm saying a actual playoff berth. So Westbrook should deserve his love as well, but I'm driving out with the best player, best scorer. I'm not even thinking about who would fit better in my team. Like who would fit better with the Currys and the Bronze. I'm just just best player of the decade. Or uh, for that two guard position is definitely James Harden, man. Hands down in my opinion. I know he averaging for this decade, he averaging like twenty-seven, eight, and six, something crazy. So Harden would, Harden would get it for me I know he doesn't have the championships or Like the other people in the First team do But neither do the other people uh, neither, neither do Chris Paul or Westbrook So just James Harden just Best player Next moving on to The shout out portion of this uh, Of this podcast Shout out to Julius Randle I know the Knicks suck We say it all the time But they've been playing Actually been playing good dog surprisingly improving in their last nine games. They are four and five. That doesn't sound crazy, but that's improvement for the Knicks, bro They starting to get my man Knox a little more minutes. Dennis Smith still not getting minutes, so uh, I'm looking at him a little sideways, but Julius Randle been getting off. He dropped 33. dropped 35 against Brooklyn and Washington, so he's been going crazy ever since uh, Finsdale got up out of the, uh, what's the coach name now? Mike Miller. See, he's looks like the team is improving at least playing hard for him at least. So, shout out to the Knicks. And, Everett, man, get off your shout out about uh, your boy. Shout out to Zach Randolph, man. Shout
1: out to Zipo. My man retired today after 17 long NBA seasons. I promise I, I didn't really feel like it was 17 seasons, it felt a little bit less than that. But, Zach Randolph, 38 years old, Memphis Grizzly legend in my case. Uh, I feel like he should be up in the Raptors in Memphis. Uh, I don't think. We, we and Quincy were talking about this for the pod. I don't think anybody is really off the top of our head. I don't think there's anybody in the Raptors, you know, for Memphis. So I feel like he would be the first. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the uh, presence that he was for that team as a veteran, as a, a non athletic force. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was telling Quincy how my, my brother, Darrell, he was telling me how uh, Zach Randolph was like the most non athletic. Um, impact on a team that he's ever seen and I, I felt like it was funny
0: because it was yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that Randolph he 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 did a lot
1: for the Memphis team. I feel like he's gonna go down in the history books as one of the greatest players ever.
0: And you said it felt less. You felt like the seventeen you felt like he played less. I felt like seventeen was alright. I was surprised he was still trying to get back in the league. I didn't even know he was trying to make a comeback. It felt, I, like, I felt like it was, like, 13, 14 seasons. Man, I was it, off by, like, three or four 17, I was, like, 13, 14. So man, I was it, off by a few seasons. It felt like Randolph was in the lead for at least 20, dog, because he was with the Clippers, the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies. He, he was all over the place, man. But he really found his home in Memphis, man. And when Memphis was really in their peak, when they had Conley, when they had Tony Allen, Randolph, and uh, Gasol, he really personified Memphis in that grit and grind system, man. Even when they had Shane Battier, he really personified it. Like you, when you thought about the Grizzlies, you thought about Zach Randolph and you thought about Tony Allen, just for their defensive presence, their toughness on every possession, man. So shout out to shout out to Zach Randolph. He, I, like I said, he's definitely going to be in the in the Raptors in, in Memphis, man. He was a top he was a top pick. I'm pretty sure he he left Michigan State. Came out of Michigan State. So shout-out to uh, Zeebo. Great career. Personifies Memphis. Going to be in the Memphis Hall of Fame. So shout-out to Zeebo. So, man, let's move on to college basketball. First, I want to dive into Dickie V's All-Decade Team. So, like I said before, All-Decade Teams have been coming out everywhere. Everybody wants to make an All-Decade Team now. So, Dickie V had made his own. He had one that had Zion Williamson. Kimble Walker, Anthony Davis, Trey Burt, and Buddy Hill. And me and Edgar done came up with our, our uh, all-decade teams for 2010 to 2019. Edgar, I'm going to let you go first.
1: First off, before we give our list, I want to tell y'all, this was one of the
0: hey, hardest. Hey, for real. <laughs> yeah,
1: if it's nothing else that was hard to do, it was making the all-decade team. But this college basketball. Um. But it's college basketball starting five, you know. So I, I just want to get that on record. This was extremely hard, hard for me choosing between two people. And I'm going to let y'all know right now, uh, my team is Lee Davis, Zion Williamson, Walker, John Wall, and Doug McDermott. And the two people it was hard for me to choose between, but I ended up putting both was John Wall and Kimball Walker. Yeah, just I just couldn't put one without putting the other even though they practically
0: play the same position But there are ways you could make one play the two and other play the one. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a way that I could have put them both in So I did. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if
1: you, if you feel like you can easily choose between the two, that's on you. I just couldn't I couldn't put Kemba in and lead John Wall out.
0: Yeah, and I was telling Edgar, man, when Kemba was in college Especially when they were on that championship run, Kimber was playing the two most of the time. So if you got Jay Wall at the one, and then you got Kimber at the two, man, that's deadly. Cause they had Shabazz running the point back when you, um UConn was in the championship. So that's a that's a deadly lineup. But I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little I'm gonna go a little left. So the consensus is basically Anthony Davis, Williamson, and Kimber are locks. I mean, you could throw a John Wall instead of a Kimber but. These, the Davis, the Williamson, the way they changed college basketball, they were like much-watched TV. Kimball was really the same way, too, especially in his last year, his junior year. He was much-watched TV, especially on that run when he won like nine nine games in like a three-, four-week span or something crazy. Kimball was really that dude. So I can't take Kimball out of the all-decade team. But my last two, I have Doug McDermott in there because Doug was – Definitely getting buckets back in Creighton. But I had to put my man's in here. Because he don't get enough love. He had his own range. He was step before step. I got to give love to my man, Jimmer Ferdinand, man. Jimmer Ferdinand was the GOAT of college basketball. And he had to get love in my list, man. When we were looking at list, we were going through seeing who the nominees were. And Jimmer Cadet was on the second team. I said, man, I used to love this dude. Every time BYU was on TV, I had to watch that game. I had to see Jimmer pull up from deep. Because he was pulling up from deep when people weren't pulling up from deep like that. He made me the player I am today. I had to pull up from deep looking at Jimmer. I had to be like Jimmer. I had to have that Jimmer range. So Jimmer was somebody I had to get on my list. But you can't go wrong with anybody that's on Anger's list, that's on... Dickie V's or any other of these uh, publications, man. Cause I, shout out to Trey Burke and yeah.
1: Hill. You know they made Dicky V's list, so I, it was
0: hard for us to turn down Trey Burke. Yeah, man. Trey Burke was somebody I used to love. Trey Burke, I really used to love Trey Burke. And that that one, he the went Blake over Comiskey, cause I was really yeah. trying to put Frank in there, but I, I couldn't put him
1: over Doug. I
0: couldn't. Yeah, Trey Burke is somebody I really used to love, and he got over his last year, but his career wasn't as dominant as a a Jimmer or like a Kimber. and he was there for all four years so I probably wouldn't have him but his senior year Buddy was that dude but I have Buddy winning uh, player of the year that year even though I think they gave it to Denzel Valentine. time but Buddy here was that dude really is and he, he got his bag in the NBA so he's producing on a pro level as well so yeah you got Kaminsky you got Valentine you got Evan Turner it's a lot of people that can be thrown in these lists man so shout out to all of them Next, want to move on to the games of last week, the big upsets of last week. Number one, Kansas. Another number one goes down. They lost to Villanova. Edgar, how do you feel about that game?
1: Uh, I feel like, I know you're going to segue into this topic a little bit after this game. One team falling down, and I never felt like Kansas should have been the number one team anyway. I still, like, my, my favorite teams right now are still, well, it's just one favorite team. Cause I, even though I like Michigan, I wouldn't say they're one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. They, to me, should still be uh, the number one team right now. Maybe you can make an argument for number two, but they, they definitely have a case for number one. But I just feel like it's another number one team falling down, and it's just another situation where we could really have a we-don't-know Playoff this year for March Madness, and I feel like that's that's all that came up to. Kansas just came short; they lost by one point to Villanova. Villanova shot everybody. They they've won a few games this
0: year. I'm not saying it really shocked me that they lost. I wasn't shocked. I I, I was shocked. I felt like Kansas would have won, you know.
1: But it it was just another situation where another no, another number one has fallen.
0: Yeah, but. Something I realized watching this game, man, and it's something I felt coming into the season because I really didn't have a favorite player. And watching this season, there's nobody that's really jumping off the page, um, for real, uh, that's, uh, in college basketball. But somebody I love to watch, man, is Devon Dotson from Kansas, man. That he has become my favorite player in college basketball, period. And I don't know, it's something about Kansas point guards that I absolutely love. I used to love Frank Mason, I love Devontae Graham, and now I love Dotson. I don't know what Bill Self puts in his point guards, but they do it all. They shoot the rock well, they get to the rack. Even though he missed the game with a shot in this game, I still love the way he plays. And he's such a big-time performer for this team. And he is the reason why I think they will win the championship this year. So, big big shout-out to Villanova because they got this game, man. They had, uh, down the stretch, had some big threes by... uh, Gillespie and some other players, man. So, big shout out to Villanova. But I still got Kansas as my favorite um, best team this season. Uh, another game that was was highly contested was the Ohio State versus Kentucky. That game ended up being 71-65. to 65, And we didn't say the score for Kansas-Villanova. That was 55-56 Villanova. So, how did you feel about Ohio State? Did it make you feel even better about your prediction of them as your favorite team or not the one team? Uh, I feel like they did. You know, uh, Kentucky is never nobody to turn your nose up at, even though they kind of been really shaky this season. I, I just feel like it was a good game play about how State. Uh, they've only lost, who, I forgot who they lost to. Um, Minnesota. Games ago. Oh. They lost to Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah. Even though um, they
1: lost to Minnesota and I, I watched that game, I was pretty upset that game. But uh, the fact that they were able to handle Kentucky, they only won by five, but that's still a, a, a great win. I, I like the fact that Uh, Kyle Young was able to produce. I like the fact that their bench players were able to get in and get some strong minutes. This team is just all around looking really strong. Everybody was able to score this game. Nobody had less than five points. Everybody was able to get points up on the board, a strong amount of rebounds. So they were able to play off the glass well. I just feel all around defensively and offensively Ohio State is the best team in the
0: country. Yeah, and they got some pieces over there, man. Whether it's Luther Muhammad, they got a down low presence in Caleb Wesson, bruh. They got uh the number two he used to play at Florida State. I forgot his name. Nah, uh, they got Carney that's off the bench. So they got players, dog, everywhere. So I rocked with Ohio State. I feel like they're a Final Four contender. But this game told me more about the SEC than it told me about anything else this year. I was looking at the SEC and just looking at the teams, and it's like, bruh, The SEC sucks this year. I don't know who is going to win the SEC. You got Auburn. You got Kentucky. I'm not sold on either one of those teams. I thought Florida was going to be something. Yeah, I thought Florida was going to be something. and Obviously, they disappointed me so far. I still think they're going to get it together, but they haven't gotten it together so far. And then you got, you know what I'm saying, you got your Arkansas, you got your Georgia. It's just nobody has popped out in the SEC. So I, the SEC sucks this year, man. And Kentucky was supposed to be the hope, but they lost to, to Utah last week. They lost to Ohio State on a, during the weekend. And now I think they're like 19 in the rankings where they were just six. So now they're falling down. So it's like I don't know who to look for in the SEC anymore. The SEC turned into the Pac-12 of last year. Ridiculous. But like, like I said, we're going to talk about why do all the number one teams keep losing, bro? Now, Gonzaga is currently the new number one. Like we said earlier, Kansas lost. Duke is number, I think Duke is top three right now. And I was looking, I was reading an article earlier, and it said top 25 teams are losing more games this season than any other top 25 in years. They said like in 10 15 years, no top 25 has lost this many games. So how do you feel about it now? Why do you feel like it's this way?
1: I feel like more players are just choosing to spread out where they go to for basketball, now for college. Um, it's not just a, a blue blood team ran sport anymore. It's not just Duke, Kansas, uh, North Carolina. I don't feel like Kentucky. I don't feel like it's just those four teams anymore. You have players spread. I mean, we've always had players spread out, but right now for this era, you definitely see the amount of people who want to go to other schools to make other schools become more popular, become more dominant Mm -hmm. in the um, league of college basketball. So I feel like that's the reason why we're
0: in a situation now where number ones keep changing because you're seeing talent everywhere across the board now, not just the same five, six teams. And I feel like the well-coached teams are the teams that are at the top. So I still feel like the Kansas is still top, the number one team. Gonzaga is well coached, so they're number ones. And but I still feel like the top recruits are still going to the Blue Bloods. But it's just are the top coaches losing their touch? Like is the uh uh what's his name, Coach K losing his touch with? Uh, college basketball. Jim Beheim. We haven't heard about Jim Beheim in a while. Is, is he losing his touch? Calipari, he gets the best recruits every year, but is he losing his touch? So I feel like it's more about coaching. Coaches like Jay Wright are the ones that are winning the championships. The ones like the Tony Bennett from Virginia are the ones winning the championship. The teams that are letting their plays, players get seasoned are the ones that are winning the championships now. Earlier in the decade, it was like Okay, the the freshman thing, the one and done thing, was working, but now the the Villanova's are starting to win, the Virginia's are starting to win. So is that one and done thing not working out like coaches think it is? Like you're getting the best uh, freshman,
1: really but is that working? Yeah, I like that you made because that, like you said, it's also coaching and it's also the one and done thing kind of not really coming to fruition anymore. We're getting you to the championship, you know. Players players either want to stay in college longer or they just don't even want to go to college. They want to try and go to the G League, or they want to try and start their professional career earlier. You yeah. know? So sometimes top recruits might not go straight into college
0: anymore, or they might want to stay longer. And these coaches, like you said, don't know how to work with seasoned vets and freshmen at the same time. Exactly. Because look, think about the Final Four from last year. Final Four was Texas Tech, Virginia, uh, Michigan State, and Auburn. None of them had freshmen as their prominent players. They all had seasoned players. Michigan State, a lot of juniors and seniors. Texas Tech, I think Colbert was their best player and he was a sophomore, but everybody else was a senior or a junior. Uh, Auburn, they had all of the smaller point guard, I forgot his name. And they had Bruce Brown. They were nothing but seniors. Uh, who was the other team? Virginia, nothing but seniors. Jerome and Guy. It's like, man, that's, the one and done is not working. We've seen it work with Anthony Davis. We've seen it work with Jaleel Okafor and Tyus Jones. But it's like that that touch isn't working anymore. And I think it's time. So it's a great time, especially with the rules uh, about to change in 2021, or they say they're about to change in 2021, that people can go from one and done now. So people can get seasoned in college more. And I think that will work out for better games. And I think that's a big reason why we're getting this so much turnover at number one as well. Because I think it's just so many well coached teams with seasoned players that are upsetting these one and done teams that we think are going to do good every year. And I think that's a big deal. Um, uh, to, to head out this podcast with, I just want to give y'all some big games of the weekend. Number three, Louisville, somebody I still believe in because they got some seniors and they got some juniors on their team, uh, is going up against Kentucky on Saturday. A Kentucky rivalry. And who you got in that game? Louisville. Got Louisville. I'm probably riding with Louisville, too. Shout out to Ryan McMahon. And you got 22 West Virginia at Ohio State. That is on Sunday. And here you got?
1: I like Ohio State, and I think it'll be closer than people are Um. Yeah. West Virginia. You
0: said West Virginia, right? No, I'm, I'm not with Ohio State, but I would like to see how Ohio State plays in the pressure of West Virginia. Because West Virginia is going but to put that like pressure West on
1: Virginia you. West Virginia can't really give it to them. Yeah, if Ohio State doesn't stay on their toes and dominate early in the game, based mm-hmm. off of how I've been seeing West Virginia play this season.
0: Yeah, West Virginia can put that pressure on you. That's that's every year. They put that pressure on you, so it's and but Ohio State has the point guards to break the pressure, so it should be easy for them. But I just want to see how they play because that's something you're going to see a lot during the tournament. So I just want to see how. Uh, you see
1: with Ohio State, like I like I said recently, the way they play. Um, they get these second chance
0: points and the yeah. way they play off the glass, that's going to be the way they win this game, by yeah. getting the second chance
1: points, by being ball dominant. That's the way they're going to beat West Virginia.
0: Yeah, and I don't think West Virginia has a lot of shooting. They have a lot of defense, but that's their problem every year. They don't have enough shooting. So that's going to be a problem in this game as well. So I got Ohio State. Um, But that is the end of our podcast. I want Edgar to hit y'all with the social media before we get out of here.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at qepodcast One can follow us on Instagram at Q underscore and underscore e underscore podcast, and you can follow our Facebook at Q and E podcast. That's the and sign in between.
0: Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Q underscore Hicks three. Follow Edgar at Edgar Martin ninety seven. Follow my boy on IG at Edgar Martin official. We got a YouTube. Check out our YouTube. I'm gonna start posting videos consistently with the with the visuals. Give y'all the visuals to also listen to the podcast. I feel like that would be entertaining as well. And hit up our email. We have our email. It's Q-A-N-D-E podcast at gmail.com. If you've got any questions, any feedback, let us know. And, yeah, that's it. So And, also, we're on all the platforms. We're on Apple Music. We're on Spotify. We're on Pocket Cast. We're all the podcast players, we are there. So, check us out. Subscribe. Do all that. I uh, just want to say thank you for listening. And we're out. Peace.